Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Sakun Wong and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me, as always, is my co-host Adam Maniba of the Burgundy and Gold Report. Hey Adam, as we talked about, and I already know the answer to this because we talked about this pre-show, but I suspect you had more than your fair share of nachos yesterday. Oh yeah, the family was cooking up nachos, burritos, you know, we just went all out. But, uh, you know, our girls are getting older now, so... You know, just getting them involved in the whole Super Bowl food thing. It was, it was great. They didn't make it the whole game, but we got through the first half altogether. But, no, it, it was a good time. Man. I'm sure the food helps. I'm sure the food helps. And I, and I can tell you, I did the same thing. I had nachos and uh, supplemented with some buffalo chicken dips and pigs in a blanket and a meatball sub just to be safe. And that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was one too far. And like I was telling you pre-show, you know, um, the food was great, multiple, multiple times over, I think, than watching the Super Bowl, and I couldn't tell what was giving me the most heartburn at the end of the first half, who <laughs> was the food or the, or the game. But um, I don't think I'm alone with that. You know, we had a poll that we sent out on Twitter yesterday asking people to grade Super Bowl 55, either the best, or rank 2 to 27, or rank 28 to 54, or the worst. And perhaps unsurprisingly, 50% ranked it as in the bottom half, 28 to 54, and 34% ranked it as the worst Super Bowl. So <laughs> I'm sure we got some bitter Chiefs fans in there as well, but that's a pretty significant difference. And and for me, obviously it wasn't the worst because being a Bears fan, the worst Super Bowl was Super Bowl 41 in 2007 when the Bears managed to waste an early Devin Hester kick return for a touchdown because Sexy Rexy couldn't handle snaps in the rain. I mean, give me a freaking break. <laughs> well, before we get to the X's and O's, let me get let me get your take on that. How do you rank the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl Five? I, you know, I, I would say Brady's going to get all, all the attention for that. But man, Todd Bowles in that defense—what a game! So, you know, if you love defense, it's definitely up there as one of the best defensive performances we've ever seen. But like That's I said, you know, Brady's going to get the attention for for the history and the record, but. Man, I'd have to put it probably in the bo- more bottom half of excitement-wise. I expected to see more out of Mahomes. But I honestly, I-, I walked away from that game I saw a couple times. I don't think he was anywhere close to 100%. I saw, you know, those nice passes, but when he was on the move, those legs, it just it didn't look right. So, you know, it- it- if he was at 100%, I still think they lose. But I think it would have been a little more competitive than, than the nine points. But um, yeah. all in all, great defensive performance, over, you know, 200 yards, three, was it 200 yards and three touchdowns for Brady. Obviously, it wasn't an offensive juggernaut kind of, you know, game. But, man, yeah, it definitely, I'm not going to lie, there was times when I kind of wanted to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, let me ask you this question. Last question here. Which Super Bowl commercial did you like the best? I'm going to take it by surprise. Today, I- Again, they 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 followed suit with you know the worst Super Bowl commercials I think I've ever seen. The only one that um, you know I'm trying to remember what oh it was uh, Matthew McConaughey. It wasn't a good commercial, but the whole 3D com- uh, 3D Doritos commercial. You know when he you know goes into the vending machine and then he gets you know 3D again. I don't know. It was kind of funny a little bit, but yeah, as far yeah. as all the commercials, I, I wasn't really into it, man. 
you so you didn't like the GM commercial of Will Ferrell trying to crush Norway? I mean, I kind of I kind of like that one. That was kind of fun. That, that was kind of good. I, you got it. That was kind of good. <laughs> and I have to say, I love I like kind of loved Drake from State Farm being the stand-in for Jake from State Farm. That was kind of <laughs> that was kind of fun too. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss today, starting with the breakdown of Super Bowl 55 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and of course discussing our DIR Player of the Week. So, uh, hey, let's get this rolling. All right, Tampa Bay Buccaneers managed to completely dominate the Kansas City Chiefs by a score of 31-9 on Sunday, and it was surprising on many levels. Before Sunday, Mahomes had never lost by double digits. The Chiefs' offense ranked second in yards per play at 6.4, fifth in soaring offense, 29.6 points during the regular season. But they were without three of their five best offensive linemen in Kaliji Osmelli, Mitchell Swartz, and Eric Fisher, and it definitely showed. Mahomes completed just 26-49 passes for 270 yards, two interceptions, zero touchdowns, and was playing of turf toe. That will require off-season surgery. But it didn't show any signs two weeks ago against the Bills. But then again, he wasn't playing against the relentless Bucks defensive front, who continuously caused pressure in the backfield, making it impossible for Mahomes to stay in the pocket. In fact, he only averaged 3.5 yards per pass in the first half. On the other hand, Tom Brady, at 43, was as good as he's ever been in the first half, completing 80% of the passes and averaging seven yards in attempts, connecting on three touchdown passes, two to Rob Gronkowski. The combination of 80% completions, three passing TDs in a half was a first in Super Bowl history, believe it or not. Chief defense not blameless, playing incredibly sloppy after a goal line stand early in the game, and they were also sloppy on special teams. Plenty of issues there. Chiefs in all committed eight penalties for 95 yards in the first half alone, a Super Bowl record that I'm sure they weren't aiming for. And the Buccaneers set a Super Bowl record themselves by having six first downs via penalty in the first half. So those penalties really impacted the game. Well, it's a tale of, you know, we thought it was going to be two halves. It ended up being a tale of one long game. So, Adam, give us your thoughts on the game. What went right? What went wrong? And how did we end up here? You know, I think I walk away with everybody who's watching that game, I guess, unless you're a Tampa Bay and a Brady fan, is what's the deal with the penalties? It's like in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, yeah. you know, these were ticky-tack, and a lot of times they were both, they were, you know, they were dual-contact penalties. It was the offensive guy pushing off, the defensive guy reacting. There was a lot of those where, honestly, right. balls were overthrown, you know, it's incidental contact, and they were just calling everything against Kansas City. So yeah. I don't think it was the actual game that made it bad. I think the referees made it unwatchable. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that it was even, you know, you take that, you know, that interception back, you know, some of those penalties, I don't think we're going to have a different result, but we'll have a, probably a more entertaining game. So <laughs> like, I'm not big for the whole conspiracy theories with Brady. And, you know, I know he, there's a lot of hate out there for him. You know, I still think he's sure. the greatest of all time, but man, just a lot of these things that, that occurred in the game, it really makes you scratch your head a little bit because nobody else gets these calls really like Aaron Rodgers, great quarterbacks that they don't get these kind of calls. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think, the, I think the referees definitely took away from it. I, I'm hoping we're not going to see, you know, I don't think Brady's going anywhere for the next year or two. So I'm hoping we're not going to see this, you know, this continued one-sided kind of, you know, referees play calling. Cause we saw it against Washington, you know, I, it was yeah. notorious for the next day. I think five photos, uh, Deron Payne, Chase Young, every single one of our pass judges was face masked out. It, it's getting out of hand. So I, I do hope that the NFL does take a look at it. 
But again, I think the best thing for the NFL right now was for Brady to win the Super Bowl after Mahomes, you know, coming to defend it. But in the end, this referee has really made it unwatchable to me. But again, a good defensive performance. I got to give it up to Todd Bowles more than anybody on that defensive performance. Most definitely. And you think that, you know, one of the things that, that was different this game than the previous matchup earlier in the season was Tyreek Hill. I mean, Tyreek Hill had yes. blown it up the first time. What do you think about that? I mean, was that part of the defensive plan or was there something else going on? Oh, you could see it all game. They they had him spied all game. You know, it was either Levante, David, <clears throat> or White. And then later on in the game, they even had Winfield drop it down. So they just had the answers. They they put their primary focus on Hill and secondary on Kelsey. And anytime they had Hill, they had Kelsey blanketed. So you just saw – anytime you saw Mahomes running around just looking for something, it's because he had nothing. After they blanketed those guys, you know, Hardman, all the other guys, even Watkins, they showed those guys are really – third, fourth receivers on most teams yeah. because in this system, you know, they kind of get good. When you have take the Hill and Kelsey out of the game, that's it. Those running backs are good. Hilaire's been good all year. But I really think all those running backs were, were nowhere near 100%, and they needed to be against this stout uh, Tampa Bay defense. But, you know, in the end, you, you, you know, you got to give it up to the, the coaching because I think coaching had a lot to do with it because focusing on Hill, taking him out of the game, you could see the frustration. And once that, you know, that set it, it was over. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that game, about this game last night, um, is you look at the other side, right, and you talk about having really good pass catchers, and you have to have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans in that com- in that conversation. Yet, Mike Evans, one reception, 31 yards on one target. Chris Godwin, yep. two receptions on four targets, nine yards. So, I mean, right. this is interesting here. Do you think that was a product of the Chiefs defense and Tampa Bay being able to kind of pivot away because – wow, did they feature the heck out of Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown? And that I did not well, expect. I mean, I didn't expect that because of Brown's coming off an injury and Gronkowski just blocking most of the year. But, you know, when we, on our last show, I think one of the prop bets I did, I'm not sure, but I thought it was one of the first touchdowns yes. to be to Gronkowski. Yes. You did, I didn't you see did. Two. Oh, but what I didn't see was Fournette. Fournette, second lead in receiver, 89-yard rushes. I think total combined yards were over nearly 150. Who saw Fournette blowing up like this? So we can say that Kansas City, the you know, the defense kind of took a step back. But man, I think Fournette honestly made himself some money in this game, and you know, kind of had a little bit yeah. of resurgence. This is a Super Bowl. You know, you can say whatever you want about the man, but when the game counts, he stepped up in a big way. You know, I think he kind of played in the shadow all night. But if you take his performance out, does Brady really win this game with uh, putting it on his back? Because Without Fournette getting those yards, Gronkowski wasn't able to see some of the lanes and some of the open areas he had. So, right, man, I right. think you got to give it up to Fournette. That guy made some money, and he he's going to be. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was just a one year deal. So he's definitely going to be in demand in the open market. He's young, and he's a Super Bowl champion who you know produced. Yeah, caught all four of his targets, and uh, interestingly, Ronald Jones with only one target. You know, I really always kind of put them as a one-two right. combo, and I thought that Ronald Jones would be the pass catcher, but. Leonard Fournette out-snapped him and out-targeted him this last night, and yeah. it was incredibly effective doing it. Now, that being said, Ronald Jones did average 5.1 yards per carry, so it wasn't like he was, you know, uh, he was nothing. I mean, that was they were both very productive on the ground, and um, that is surprising. I mean, it wasn't surprising, but it was surprising that the Kansas City had so many difficulties. Do you think it was over time? Because I really had this feel that there was some frustration on the Kansas City side in, on defense, and that – they started kind of giving up. It's almost like they had lost confidence in their team to win the game. Did you have that feeling there? 
Yeah, that it's imposing their will. It was, it was in the trenches, and that Tampa Bay offensive line. Listen, they brought they brought Tam Brady in with a plan. Unlike a lot of teams where they just go and give all their assets, throw all the money at, then they have to have a team that's subpar. They put together a team, full offensive line. They had weapons at receiver, and they just needed to bring some guys and draft them on defense. And they put the guys in front of them. I, I talked about Tristan Warfs the whole time leading up to the draft. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah went on probably for about five months. This, this guy is a guard. He's a guard. He's not an outside lineman. I said, listen, this guy's going to be a right tackle that's going to help right away and eventually be a blind side. And then when they got Brady, this guy's going to be awesome. This line, with everybody they put together, even Donald Penn, who was really on the downside until Brady come. Now this guy's looking at you know upper echelon. That offensive line is probably the most underrated line was coming mm-hmm. to this game. But I'm telling you, after this game, you have to look at that offensive line and then that overall defensive performance as the two keys to you know the game. Because 200 yards, three touchdowns for Brady, that's not an MVP performance. Although you know three touchdowns, it's it's what everybody else around him did. So to me, that's a total win. That's a total team performance for Tampa Bay. And again, you got to give it up to Bruce Arians, um, Todd Bowles. It's probably yeah. one of the most diverse coaching units in the NFL. I think it was the first. Uh, female sister to win the Super Bowl now. Uh, defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, offensive coordinator, both uh, African American. I, I really like what they're doing, and I think it just kind of it, it works. It's the the sign of the times. Everything that's going on, progressive, um, you know, innovation in football, and I just think that better team win. It's just like you and me. We we thought this was probably going to be the other way around, but yeah, in the end, absolutely. I think coaching really shows. And um, you know, there was a lot of factors. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into in the show, but I think Kansas right. City just. They came into it with the wind knocked out of them, and it just continued through the game. Yeah, so I, that, speaking of coaching, and we did kind of mention this a little bit pre-show, but there was obviously a little bit on the news about um, Andy Reid's son and what happened there right. with the accident, with the issues surrounding that. And, of course, we know that Andy Reid has a history um, that's not so great, uh, and that can be can be an issue. And, you know, on the eve of the Super Bowl – that has to have some impact on him. Do you think that that had any impact on the outcome in the game? Oh, definitely. Yeah, not, maybe not necessarily on the game, but as far as the overall morale, because it wasn't just his son. It was it was somebody who was part of the Kansas City staff, uh, somebody that had a lot of influence uh, right. that the players really looked up to. That you know, He's a, very, a vocal leader from what I understand. I know much about him, but I was reading about him before the show. And he's got a history of these. He's got a history of alcoholism. This sounds like this is something that the Reed family has been dealing with for really a long time. Uh, it sounds like he kind of really – brought his son aboard maybe to try to you know get everything on the right path and it just sounds like it's a bad situation and I think you'd be naive to think that this didn't affect the overall morale um you know the, the, the players in the end play the game and they're responsible but I think in the lock there was just two two different locker rooms you know the one that was intent and I think Brady had no doubt in his mind he's going to win it and I think Kansas City walked in you know with some some sort of doubt for whatever reason, if it was the Reed situation, but you know we're, we're talking about uh, you know some children that one could possibly die. Uh, so mm, this, yeah. this was this was a bad situation, and you know God willing, you know everybody in the end will be okay. But uh, this is going to be you know a bad situation for Reed. And I'll be honest with you, I've seen other things like this in college ranks and coaches. And um, th- this can hurt people's careers. So I-, I really wouldn't be surprised. You know, we we all talked about Eric Bieniemy. Um, yeah. Why is he getting coaching interviews with? Um, I really wouldn't be surprised if we saw Andy Reid step down after this. Not because of the embarrassment. I think I just really wouldn't be surprised because 
again, I've seen this before, and this can really do a lot of damage to families. And the thing is, it's ongoing. It's going to continue for a long time with, with, with the family, you know, in the hospital, with the children in the hospital. So I think this is a situation that's going to be ongoing. So, again, just kind of a gut feeling, but I think we just we probably saw Andy Reid's last game. Just a gut. Yeah, There's I mean, nothing behind it, though. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because that's, I've heard a lot of people say that, uh, that this may be his last game for a number of reasons and that being one of them. So very interesting to keep an eye on that because, quite frankly, this week, um, well, I should say today, uh, the sports books opened up for, um, for the odds-on favorites for the champion of Super Bowl 56, and guess who? Kansas City Chiefs are at the top of the list. So that will be certainly impacted if Andy Reid doesn't come back and maybe impacted even if Andy Reid stays. So something to keep an eye on. Let's look to the receivers though, and get back onto the field for a second. You know, what we saw last night was um, pretty much what we thought we would see, but not the result we would see because Travis Kelce and Tyreek Hill accounted for basically 70% of the passing targets, the two of them combined, which means that everybody else basically got scraps. You know, you take Clyde Edwards Hilaire out of it because he had three targets, and there's basically scraps that went around to everybody else. So, you know, there's a question here. Sam Watkins, unlikely to be signed. Marcus Robinson doesn't look like a real true starter, every down starter. Nicole Hardman was drafted. He had a, just finished his sophomore campaign. Everyone was touting him as the next Tyreek Hill. He really hasn't developed into that. I mean, what are your thoughts on this receiving core? I mean, are they going to have to go outside to add someone, draft someone? What are they going to do to fix this? I believe so. I think, to me, they're the perfect team. You know, if you're into building your team through the draft, and I think Kansas City is a team that doesn't need to supplement through free agency. I think they're going into the draft in in a good situation, albeit late-round picks. I'll give you a perfect scenario. They have Kelsey. Um, I don't think that they need to add another receiver on the end. I think that they can, you know, maybe find somebody second tier even in free agency, but I think they need to find someone there. But it, it's the draft that, you know, I'll give you a great name, uh, Brevin Jordan, uh, tight end Miami. You're talking about somebody that can complement Kelsey in the passing game, but can also, you know, contribute uh, in the blocking game and what uh, they're trying to do with their quick game and a lot of motion. So I think you add an athletic, um, you know, wide tight end in this draft. And I think Kansas City, you know, it's the offensive line. Everybody saw it. They played with smoke and mirrors the last how many weeks with various injuries, but that Fisher injury was just it. I think if Fisher plays, they're a little more competitive. He, he, they, you know, Mahomes gets a little more time maybe. Right. But um, adding, a, adding a tight end, I think, is, is it's an underrated aspect of this game. Is Even though you have a top tight end, people might say it's a tight end one, tight end two, the league is trending to having two athletic tight ends because sure. if they can take one away – you know, you receive, there's, there's a lot more focus on the outside than the hash mark. So I'm just a big believer that if you can have two tight ends that can really stretch the field, Mahomes is the perfect guy. He fits it in tight windows, and those are the kind of those 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guys that are getting down the field, 4'5", five, 4'6", five, speed. That's what I think we'll see in the offseason. As far as free agent market, again, I haven't seen a ton out there. But, again, Brevin Jordan, uh, probably late first round, second round, perfect match for a team like them. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a great call right there. Let me um, ask you um, one more thing here that, because it was an observation. Do you think they were, I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because the the plays were, they were tight and the defense was really, really good, but dropped passes. It seemed to me that there were quite a few dropped passes on the Chiefs side. And, And, you know, the other thing, obviously, that was very clear was that Patrick Mahomes did not have time in the pocket. I mean, he was essentially running for his life almost immediately. And the amazing thing is that even when he was, you know, halfway falling to the ground, he was completing 
30, 40 yard passes into the numbers of receivers right. that, and they were, and they were being dropped. So what do you think? What, what was the impact of drop passes in this game on the chief side? Huge. You know, I, I, I think now we can start to get into those are game changing plays. You know, you have to they get that interception by Tyron Matthew. You have right. these, those, those two, I think there was at least two or three that I saw earlier that Mahomes was falling to the ground, falling out and he zipped it. Those were, those were the numbers. Like you said, every time those are catchable balls and a team like Kansas city to me, you can say, well, you know, you can't put it on all of them, but then you have to go into the off season and you have to look at some of your weapons and albeit. Tyree Kill and a lot of those guys wanting the Super Bowl, uh, you know, the previous year, I, we're seeing that uh, having more of these big body types will help them. And it's going to really make them reevaluate their receiving core going forward. Tyree Kill is no doubt their number one. But personally, I think you got to reconsider how you use him. I think if you can get a true um, X receiver out there that, you know, stretching the field, that has speed, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, guy, you can start to use him in the slot more. You can start really focusing him where his role is best right now he's your do-it-all guy and i don't i i don't see him getting to be 33 34 year receiver at this phase i think he will break down fairly quickly so i think if you want to preserve the window you have with mahomes and hill you need to really add some size to that roster some more you know some guys that can really make those plays and when the, like you said when the ball was thrown up if you don't have kelsey there you have a bunch of guys under six foot or, you know, or so you know, yep. Watkins is an, another bigger body, but I think we saw with him, that guy's done. I don't think that he's even a third and fourth receiver on most decent teams anymore. So I think yeah. that's where your upgrades are for next year. And of course, you know, everyone's got to make some defensive upgrades. The Breland call, you know, yes. I'm, I'm a Washington fan, so we're seeing a bunch of them. This is stuff, Breland's always done this, and granted, you know, it's ticky tack, but they're going to get caught. If you're not a respected cornerback, you know, and top echelon kind of guy, you're not going to get the benefit of that call as, you know, he was just retaliating. So um, that's another big upgrade. You know, Patrick Peterson, they're saying he's going to be out in Arizona. Patrick Peterson in Kansas City sounds like a good match to me. So, Yeah, and that Breland call, by the way, I mean, so that was, that was really interesting to me because you watch yeah. it in full speed and maybe you see some contact, but it's really hard to, to pick it up there and, and, and get a good view. I mean, it's a, it's a truly game-changing call. 24 seconds left in the first yeah. half. 34 yards downfield, the difference being incomplete and you go down to third down or complete. And now you're well within scoring distance and they get the touchdown and it becomes 21 to six instead of 14 to six. I mean, that, that, that definitely has a different feel going into halftime. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I I know that you look at it and you kind of wonder really was there interference? Was there enough contact there to be pass interference? And was the ball just so far out there? that it was just uncatchable. I mean, obviously Mike Evans is amazing. Maybe he lays out, but it's, you know, it's one of those things that's really hard to, and it's hard to go back and, and dissect it now that it's already been called. Right. Because I mean, right. you weren't there and, and how do you know, but what are your thoughts on that particular breaking? You know, it was back breaking play after back breaking call. I hate when games are decided that way. I want to see, yeah. you know, between two teams, let's play it out. And I don't think it could have gone either way. I think it was a call that really shouldn't have been made uncatchable. We could dispute that his, you know, the size, the size of his arms, how tall he is, his, you know, but basically it did look uncatchable. So as a referee, even if you throw that flag, this is what bothers me. I've seen some of the better referees throw the flag, huddle up and pick it up. I don't yeah. know why he didn't pick it up. I thought yeah. there, there was two times at least where it was so obvious that they should have picked it up. And I think this is something that the NFL really needs to put some focus on next year is 
review of referees' calls because I don't think that their all end all has to be the way it is. Because in other sports, I think you're a little you have you know like NBA, you have a couple referees on the court, but in the NFL, you have so many different referees all over the place and different ones responsible. And I just think that they need to have more of a collective involved because right now they're just getting too many things wrong. And this is the Super Bowl, you know, Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Let them play. You know, yeah. calling a play like that, it, 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 it's swinging the pendulum to the other side, and that, that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All, I agree with all that. But, you know, it did, it did what it did and obviously had a huge impact yep. on the game. And we'll see if they make any corrections for next year. And we are going into next year. I will mention one more thing about the Super Bowl, which I thought was fascinating. LaShawn McCoy won his second Super Bowl ring in a row. <laughs> and he didn't play a single snap in both of those. That's amazing to me. I mean, hey, I respect wow. LaShawn McCoy um, as much as any other running back, but that is well done. Well done, LaShawn McCoy. Well done, Shady. Getting two Super Bowl rings while playing a single snap. That is great. All right. Let's move on uh, to the next topic here. We're going to go ahead and uh, hit the uh, boxing bell on this topic and get to my favorite topic, actually. Your favorite topic, probably. It's our DIR Player of the Week. That's right. We're going to go for another prospect here. And you got a good one lined up for us this week, uh, don't you, Adam? Take it away. Yeah. Yeah, we actually just put this article out, uh, this evaluation out with uh, another one, Richie Grant from Safety from South Florida. But uh, this one is going to be – he kind of made a name for himself at the Senior Bowl. He actually got voted as um, the top O-lineman against the American practice squad where the defensive line votes on their toughest lineman to deal with all week. And that's David Moore, uh, guard center from Mm -hmm. Grambling State. Uh, He did play a little center early on, but um, guard is his natural position, left guard. Um, he actually opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID, so there wasn't a ton of tape from him out there. But, again, um, as a Washington fan, Doug Williams, former Grambling alum, uh, quarterback, coach, um, part of their staff, he actually called him and made the announcement. So he kind of got on the radar. Um, I've been following him for about a year and a half, but he got on the radar for my senior bowl guys once that happened. And mm-hmm. he didn't disappoint. A um, little undersized, it's about six one and a half, but he's 350 pounds. You won't see a nastier offensive lineman in this draft. Um, a guy his size, you just don't expect him to get downfield like he does. I think countless times there's tapes of him pancake knocking somebody down, and once they're on the ground, he's just following through. So he's just that kind of guy. Finish off blocks with a mean streak. I really like him. He's that fourth, fifth round uh, range we're talking about. Developmental guy, but uh, I think he's got enough attention that he might be getting out of that diamond in the rough status. But I think when you're talking about a day three guy who can potentially walk in, maybe have a year, hopefully, without injuries to really refine his technique, refine his, you know, body, because he's a big guy. Um, I think that you have a diamond in the rough. And, you know, tonight, David Moore, Grambling State, uh, guard, uh, he's, he's a diamond in the rough. I think this is a guy on the next level that's really going to make some noise. Last year, uh, Kyle Duggar was one of my top small school guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, as of right yeah. now, um, David Moore is, is, is my guy to watch until, you know, until otherwise. There's another offensive lineman that didn't play uh, most of the senior bowl to the injuries. He'll be next um, from uh, small, another small school. But uh, right now, David Moore, he, he's my small school guy to watch this year. Yeah, that's a great call. I love it. I love it. And, and obviously, a great article. Uh, if everybody wants more information, definitely go check it out on the Burgundy and Gold Report.com. And we get to find out more about David Moore Jr. on that. Well, on the website, Adam has a great piece up there. So definitely check that out. And we have come to the end of the show. Amazing. Hit the air horn on the show. Always goes so fast. 
Hey, Adam, why don't you give us a social media and also anything you want to promo from the site this week, other than, of course, <laughs> David Moore's article. Of course. Um, you can always find me uh, at the B&G Report, capital B, capital G. Uh, and again, all of my evals, articles, podcasts are up. Tonight's show will be up there um, at the Burgundy and Gold Report.com. Um, as we mentioned, the David Moore article and uh, the Richie Anderson write up as well were released yesterday. Uh, we will, for our Washington fans out there, have our write up on what's next for Landon Collins after the season with Kareem Curl. People oh, are nice. wondering, Redskins Nation, what they're going to do with the strong safety position. Uh, and we're going to have about another four uh, prospects coming out this week with full evaluations, full write up. So, yes, stay tuned. The Burgundy and Gold Report.com. Oh, that's always fantastic stuff. Everyone go check that out right away if you haven't already. It is amazing. You'll get so much great information there. You can follow me at FB Garbage Time on Twitter. And as usual, thank you so much for coming out and listening and wasting time with us. We'll be back next week with more on the offseason because it's time to get ready for those offseason trades and the NFL draft, and we are excited to take you there. So until next time, everybody, enjoy your NFL week.